Motivation is described as the reasons why people choose to act in a particular way. As psychologist Victor Vroom pointed out, the choices people make in life are made based on the anticipated rewards. We can increase people's motivation by promising them the outcomes they want. So while we all make similar choices such as getting married, moving to a new city, changing jobs or going back to school, our motivation for doing so can be very different. And not all reasons are morally valid. Sometimes the best decisions can be destroyed by the wrong motivation, even the decision to become a Christ follower. Join Nathan Norman, Kent Edwards, and Vicki Hitzkiss as they look at two people in Acts chapter 8 who chose to follow Jesus for very different reasons and see how God responded to their differing motivations. Welcome to Crosstalk, a Christian podcast whose goal is for us to encourage each other to not only increase our knowledge of the Bible, but to take the next step beyond information into transformation. Our goal is to bring the Bible to life, into all our lives. I'm Brian French. Today, Dr. Kent Edwards, Vicki Hitzkiss, and Nathan Norman continue their discussion through the book of Acts. And if you have a Bible handy, turn to Acts chapter 8 as we join their discussion. Nathan, Vicki, I think Brian is correct when he says that it's possible to do good things for the wrong reasons. Can you think of times when you've seen this play out in people's lives? I mean, I think it happens all the darn time. I just... I agree. Yeah, most of our motives are pretty mixed. I think they're, yeah, mixed for sure. If not just impure, but mixed for sure. I think a lot of our motives are certainly mixed. I can think of a friend who has a wonderful personality, and he uses mm -hmm. it lavishly on people. And I like the guy. Everybody likes the guy. I've noticed, and I'm sure I do this all the time, too, but... Whenever we go out, he welcomes everybody that he sees and he slaps people on the back and he does that and he gets excellent service and he does it because he wants excellent service. You know, he doesn't do it because he mm -hmm. cares about the people, but he gets excellent service and it's become a way of life with him. Oh, wow. I, so he, he's, he's faking kindness for selfish reasons. And, and, and I would say that he has become kind in the process, but it's manipulative. Mm. And I, th I think mm -hmm. that's true of a lot of us. I think we often are kind to people, not with pure motive, not that we want to be unkind, but I think, I think there's an awful lot of things that we do and our motive isn't pure. Yeah. I know my wife speaks of that constantly in the business world in terms of networking. Who do we network with? We don't network because we really care about people. We network with people <laughs> who can give us an advantage, a leg up. Yeah. <laughs> I find that frequently. People, oh, what do you do? And then you know they're going through a checklist. Is this person going to be a client of mine? Can this person lead me somewhere? And if it's yes, I'm they're my friend. And if it's not, they move on. And good to you meet know. you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And it isn't that they wish any harm to you. It's just you're not going to get them where they want to go. So bye. <laughs> so when we come to Acts chapter 8, I'm fascinated by the fact that in this one chapter, we really have two independent but related stories. Two different people are featured, and in some ways, they're very similar, and, and yet in another way, they're very different. 
both stories, the first one regarding Simon, the second one regarding an Ethiopian uh, executive, uh, both stories are fulfilling Jesus' last words. Do you remember what those last words were, Vicki? I don't know off the top of my head, but I can read them to you. Here's, here's what they were. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So fast forward to chapter 8, what we're looking at today, and uh, boy, all that is seeming to be fulfilled. Right, Nathan? Yeah, Absolutely. In chapter 8, verse 1, it says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. This is happening because of the stoning of Stephen. Mm -hmm. And what's incredible is the persecution breaks out, right? And they continue to share the word of God wherever they go. So you would think that, oh, I'm scared and I'm running away, so I'm going to shut up and never mention the name of Jesus again. But their love for Christ is so tangible, so big, that wherever they go, they can't help but share him. And, and Philip, this, the, one of these evangelists, uh, goes specifically to Samaria. Is that significant? Yeah, it sure is. I mean, Jesus uh, proclaimed the gospel in Samaria when he was there, and that was incredibly controversial in his uh, in his ministry and the samaritans were hated by the jewish people and the jewish people mm. were hated by the samaritans samaria basically cut israel in half uh, their territory right. was between galilee in the north and and jerusalem and the surrounding territory in the south and the samaritans were the descendants of the northern kingdom of israel that was taken into captivity in assyria and instead of being ritualistically pure, they mm -hmm. intermarried with the Assyrians and all their other neighbors. And so they did not follow the Torah as interpreted by the, uh, the Pharisees. And you had this mixed group of people come back into Samaria uh, that thought of themselves as the true children of Abraham. And uh, the Jewish people of the day thought that they were absolutely not the true people of Abraham. Yeah, so it would have almost been seen as a d diminishing almost of the gospel to go to those kind of people. Yeah, they were from uh, from Philip's own people. They were seen as the least. Yeah, but Jesus had them in mind. He wanted them, as the rest of the world, to hear the gospel, and uh, and Philip went in obedience. And as exciting as this is, that he went to Samaria. Well, his ministry went a lot further because uh, second half of the chapter. We read that, uh, well, an angel of the Lord said something pretty astounding to Philip. It says, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all of the treasury of the queen of the Ethiopians. Huh. So what I find fascinating is that um, Ethiopia in Roman writings at this time, was literally identified as the ends of the earth <laughs> because it was outside the Roman Empire. You know, like it uh, wasn't under their control. Man, it was so far away. It was the ends of the earth. So this is a, a fulfillment of what Jesus had said would actually happen. And I don't think it's any coincidence that this official was reading 
as uh, we see in the text, from the book of Isaiah. Because Isaiah, on at least two occasions, speaks of the importance of the gospel going to the ends of the earth, doesn't he? Wow. It says in Isaiah 49, 6, I will make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. <laughs> and it says in Isaiah 62, 11, the Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your Savior comes. Wow. So in this chapter, we see two stories, and they're very similar in a sense, um, in one sense, because it's a direct fulfillment of what Jesus said would happen. And in both of these stories, uh, people believed in Jesus and were baptized, right? Hmm. Yeah. You have the Samaritans, and then eventually you have the, the Ethiopian official. Yep. And we read in verses 12 and 13 that uh, when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women, and Simon himself believed and was baptized. So that's significant. He's a player in the first story, and he believed and was baptized. Well, and so was this Ethiopian official, right? And verse 32, uh, this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading the Ethiopian official, he was like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Wow. Wow. That was exciting. So we have two stories, um, both the gospel being spread to where Jesus said it would spread, and there was fruit, right? So these both stories feature uh, someone believing and being baptized. Thirdly, I find it fascinating. In both of these stories, um, Philip is the preacher in both, and the events include miraculous signs. I mean, that was certainly true in Samaria, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. It said, when the crowd heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So lots of, lots of attesting miracles to Philip's ministry. And, uh, but the eunuch, he also saw something that uh, you don't see every day. I mean, what happened it's, after he was baptized? I said, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Does that mean he just disappeared? Yeah. And the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. That's, you know what? That's as cool a story as, as all the miracles, I think, because, <laughs> no, I mean, think about it. Here's a guy in the, in the middle of nowhere, the ends of the earth, it says. He's, he's got his heart all ready to receive, and then Philip just shows up and the and the guy starts asking questions and he gets saved and he goes what's to stop me from getting baptized right now philip goes well <laughs> nothing and then, and then he gets he gets baptized and then philip boom leaves i mean goes i just think that's an amazing story yeah he's like what just where okay but yeah. he's, he rejoices he's not he's not so confounded 
So obviously God, the Holy Spirit is con- convicting him and filling him that he's, uh, he's like, well, maybe that was a dream. No, he knows because he goes on rejoicing. He goes on rejoicing. I love that story. Well, as a kid who grew up watching the Star Trek TV show, this really looks like they got he got beamed up by Scotty. Beam me up, uh-huh. Scotty. I just think that's a great story. <laughs> but for all the similarities of these two stories, there is also a massive difference. And the difference is motive. I mean, the Ethiopian's motive is clear. We begin to see that in verse 26, don't we? It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. He met an Ethiopian eunuch who had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. So he traveled to Jerusalem to worship, not on a business trip. He went to worship and on the way home, He's reading the prophet Isaiah. What does that tell us? What are the hints that he's that we're learning here about the Ethiopian's motivation? Was he going to, to what kind of a church was he going to? Well, he was going to Jerusalem to worship Jerusalem. at the temple. He's going to the temple to worship. Oh, that's why I was wondering why he even had that scripture anyway. Right. So he Duh. he was he was okay. what the okay. Jewish people at the time would call a God fearer. So he hadn't fully right, he, and he wouldn't have been able to fully convert because he was a eunuch. So he's considered unclean. Uh, he wouldn't have been able to go past the court of women, I believe. Uh, maybe he wouldn't be allowed to go that far. So he wouldn't be able to go far into the temple to really worship and experience the worship of the one true God. Uh, so he, he would have to worship God from a very, very far distance uh, because he would be considered unclean and he was also a foreigner. And so here he is reading, you know, under, understanding that this is the true God of the universe. How can I get close to him? Mm-hmm desperate, I would imagine. And Philip shows up. Right. And so this was no business trip either, right? Right. He does this on his own. This is this is his own time and on his own dime. So he wants to know God. He went to worship the God of Israel, not the other gods that would have been common in his country. He wanted to wor- worship this God. And he's reading the prophet Isaiah. So if he's reading, he had to have a scroll, right? What do you think that costs? Oh, yeah, more money than you and I make in a lifetime. So this guy is really passionate about knowing God. And you can see that. I mean, Vicky, as you just read that passage previously. I mean, here's water. Let me get baptized. I want to go come as close to God as I possibly can. What would stop me? Now, contrast those pure motives with that of Simon. <laughs> as here the, the gulf divides. In verse 4, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When Peter and John arrived, they prayed for the new believers and placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. <laughs> he sounds like a TV evangelist. <laughs> So what is this to tell us about Simon's motivation? Well, he didn't get it. He didn't get what? Well, he he doesn't understand how this works. He thinks he can buy he can buy I don't I don't even understand his motivation. If if he if he pays for it, then then he can get people to be saved. Right. So Well, it's about he, power, right? He 
He just it, wants it power. It is about power. He just right. wants power. It must be power. Yeah. Right. But but look at the backstory. The backstory is given in verse 9. That makes sense out of why he was trying to buy the Holy Spirit. It says, now for some time, a man named Simon had, oh, had practiced sorcery in the mm -hmm. city and amazed all of the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. Ah. So he's thinking, oh, this is cool stuff. I want it. Right. Now, he did. He was baptized, right? He did believed and was baptized. But even after that, when he saw that what the Holy Spirit could do, he I want wanted some it. of that. Yeah. Right, because that was his business, right? Yeah. It was his past business. He thinks by buying the Holy Spirit, then maybe he can uh, expand his business. He's going to make more money. What are his motivations? Greed. It is greed. Mm -hmm. It is selfishness. It is greed. He wants to use God to further his own agenda. The Ethiopian followed Jesus because he wanted to enjoy a personal relationship with God. Simon decided to follow Jesus in order to advance his career. The Ethiopian mm -hmm. surrendered his agenda, gave his life to the Lord. That was selfless. Simon tried to use God for his personal advantage. It was selfish. Do people, some people today, choose to follow Christ for selfish motives rather than pure? Oh, absolutely. I think it's diminishing as cultural Christianity kind of wanes, but, but for sure. I know uh, when I began my ministry here at the Orchard, <laughs> we had a guy in the first few months, he came up to me after service and he says, hey, you know, it's great service. Ah, it was the best sermon I have ever heard. By the way, I sell vitamins. And uh, <laughs> and if you, uh, you know, announce, like we can do a thing for the church, you announce it on Sunday morning, I'll have these forms, the church will get 10% of all the sales that we make. <laughs> needless to say, we did not uh, go up on the offer. And uh, I never saw him again. <laughs> uh. I There's a guy who comes to the church, and uh, I don't want to say what profession he's in, but at one point he had a coworker criticize him because and was saying, you can't go to that church. That church isn't large enough uh, because you can't build your customer base. Hmm. on that. In fact, I had a, one of the other leaders of the church, she uh, had the same thing. A, a boss had told her, you need to go to a larger church so you can build a bigger customer base. I know I um, have had people trying to uh, get me to organize uh, tours to the Holy Land. You get all these people coming, and by the way, if you get this number of people, you can go for free. <gasps> oh. And I'm like, dude, no. I... So of all the places I've traveled in the world, unfortunately, it has never been to the Holy Land. I'd love to go sometime. I'm not against it, but for, for, for the right motives. Crosstalk Israel. <laughs> That's right. However, anyone listening, I am available. <laughs> but look how Peter responded to Simon's attempt to use God for his own purposes. And this is, this is strong. We need to hear this. Oh, yeah. He answered, may your money perish with you. Ooh. Because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord and hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. 
never mind the Holy Land skies. (laughs) (laughs) For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. That is pretty strong. He's not like, yeah, let's let's rethink this. So look at this. Two guys. They are both exposed to the great things of God. They both hear the gospel. They both repent to be baptized. The difference is their motive. The difference is the Ethiopian says, I want to know God. I need to know him. No price is too great for me to pay in order to have a deep relationship with him. And Simon, I want to use God. I want him to advance my agenda to further my career. Oh, my goodness. I think the real question here that we need to ask ourselves about our own faith, it's gut check time. Is my faith about me or is it about thee? Certainly Jesus thought we should ask that question because in Luke 14, verse 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and I think he suspected their motives. So what did he say in verse 26? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. That's that's a strong bunch of words right there. Yeah, it is. And I don't think he means literally despise them, but he does mean in comparison to our love for him, that they must be a far distant second. Because the greatest commandment is? The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? I think we can be deceived at times with our motives. I think at times we could come to God and say, God, I need help with my kids, with my job, with my life. And I've heard you can make my life better. I think that's a danger sign. I think a better example would be to come like we would at the altar. When we come as husband and wife, for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, I pledge you my troth. I want you more than anything else. I want you. What the good husband and wife say to each other at the beginning of a marriage is what God asks us to do with him. God, I love you. I want you. And if, if that's what you want the most, you'll get everything you want in life because he will always give you himself. Dietrich Bonhoeffer warned us in his famous book, The Cost of Discipleship, when he said, cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. Do you remember what he said to describe that? Read it to us. Cheap grace, cheap grace finds a cheap covering for its sins. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It's the pearl of great price, which the merchant will sell all his goods to buy. It's the kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It's the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life.
If all God gives you in life is himself, will that be enough? If it's not, you may want to check your motives. I trust that today's discussion of God's word has been helpful and served as an encouragement to not just be hearers of the word, but doers. Together, let's bring God's word to life, to our lives this week. The Crosstalk Podcast is a production of Crosstalk Global, equipping biblical communicators so every culture hears God's voice. To find out more or to support the work of this ministry, please visit www.crosstalkglobal.org. You can also help support this show by sharing it on your social media and telling your friends. Tune in next Friday as we continue our discussion through the book of Acts. Be sure to join us. 